It is cold this year, my friends. <laughs> cold enough that throughout the East Coast, uh, Floridians are experiencing snow. Parts of Boston flooded and froze, and the Niagara Falls are a solid mass of icicles. On Lake Michigan, the St. Joseph Lighthouse, you can see here, has been covered with layer after layer of ice as the spray from the lake coats it and freezes in place. And yet, the beacon still shines from its housing. I was struck by how incredibly powerful this image was, a lighthouse designed to shine a bright light into the night so that others could find their way, still doing its job despite layers and layers of buildup in a frozen world. I think God is like this, too shining a light into the world to be picked up and reflected by each of us, even through the crud that covers us. Yes, on this Epiphany Sunday, we're talking about the light that guided the Magi to Jesus, but we're also talking about the light that guided the Israelites back to their homeland and the light that guides us home to God every day. In the midst of the exile in Babylon, the people of Israel and Judah could hardly have thought that they would make it home. So when the writer in the Isaiah tradition announced to the people in exile that their light had come, the Lord's glory shone around them, this really had to be pretty baffling to them. True, the Neo-Babylonian Empire had just been overcome by the Persian Empire, um, but that just meant that there was a change in who was in control, right? Just one overlord for another. No, says the prophet, you are still in the control of God, whom you have served even in exile from your homeland. And God is calling you to look up, to celebrate, to shine out God's light into the dark and gloomy world as a beacon to call you home, and also to call all of God's other children throughout the world. What great hope it must have been to hear these words. Lift up your eyes and look all around. They are all gathered. They have come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on caregivers' hips. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will tremble and open wide. Even when things are at their worst, God calls to the people to be beacons in the night, bearers of God's own glory that bursts forth from open hearts. How wonderful for those who heard these words and had their hearts opened that Cyrus the Great of Persia returned the Jewish people to their homeland. The light of God shone from an unexpected place in that time. From the height of an empire, a restoration was achieved for those in exile. And what a restoration. Not only were the exiled returned home, but trade resumed and foreigners came to honor and worship God. It seems that even in exile, the light that shone through the Jewish people was enough to guide others to God's faith. When Isaiah promises that countless camels will cover your land, and let me just say, countless camels covering your land is a wonderful alliteration and a terrible image in my mind. <laughs> but when Isaiah promises that countless camels will cover your land from Midian and Ephah and Sheba, He's saying that these people from near and far will come back too. Midian and Ephah are thought to be on the Arabian Peninsula, and uh, either they're confederations of nomadic tribes or just Hebraic names for the tribes themselves. 
Sheba probably refers to the people living in modern-day Ethiopia and Yemen who were linked to the Jews through Solomon's marriage to the queen of Sheba in the, the biblical tradition. The mention of camels suggests trade, as well as saying specifically that the trade would return, especially when linked with frankincense, a major trade good of the Arabian Peninsula. It's a, a tree resin that's only found at that time in trees in the Arabian Peninsula. So we have this local uh, trade good coming back into Israel. In any case, the point is that the return home wasn't meant to be to a miserable hovel that had been burned to the ground by other people, but instead an abundance that would build over time. Even if it didn't seem to be in abundance when they first got there, God promised them that trade would resume, that lives would be restored, that the very people themselves would begin to live their lives again. And that brings us to Matthew's story of the Magi, these learned ones who studied the heavens and were often called on for divination in the Persian world. The Magi of Matthew's day were likely from the Parthian Empire outside of the Roman sphere of influence. Now, if you haven't heard of the Parthian Empire, I like to think of them as a mispronunciation of Persia. So Parthia, Persia, they're close enough. You can hear how someone might make that that. Uh, mistake. But they are, in fact, in the same place, have the same heritage. Parthian Empire is what we use to refer to this latter-day empire. Now, the, the Parthians and the Romans had been fighting for over 50 years when Jesus was born, and they would continue to struggle for 600 more years, the longest continuous conflict in human history was between the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. And it left both empires crippled and ultimately vulnerable to the rise of the Caliphates. Needless to say, these Parthian magi would have been looked on with suspicion by the Roman authorities. Here were priests of an enemy empire that were somehow making their way through. And even a client king like Herod the Great would have greatly distrusted these people. Yet because of the historical connections between the Persians and the Jews, the Magi would have been well-received by most Jewish people. And if you want to see more of that historical perspective, look into the book of Esther in the Bible. Uh, it talks about this Persian-Jewish relationship um, from that perspective. It's neat to have that long-term connection. Anyway, it makes a certain amount of sense then for these Magi to have seen the star, interpreted it according to their way, and followed it to find a newborn king. It makes a lot less sense for them to visit with the client king, who cannot claim to be born as a king, since he wasn't of Jewish descent himself. Um, and Matthew takes a certain amount of glee in pointing out that there's something wonky going on with Herod. He has to ask about the scriptures instead of knowing them for himself, as any good Jewish man of that day should have done. Yet, he directs the Magi to the right place, and they bring Jesus' gifts fit for a king, returning home by another route after God warns them not to go back to Herod. Though the Magi were first guided by the light of the star, they also saw the light of Christ and were guided by his light to return to their home. Whatever spark of divine connection led them to Christ, you can bet that the light of their encounter shone through them thereafter. 
God's light shines through the strangest of places, like the light of that lighthouse shining through the frozen spray. That light led the Magi on their path, and the light that Christ shines ought to lead us on our path, too. My friends, you have a light. You have the light inside of you. Whether it is but a single coal that the spirit occasionally moves by and flares up, or a lighthouse beacon that shines any direction you look, that light is the love of God shining from you. And like the light of of the Christmas star, which called to people far afield uh, at its rising, the light of God's love in you also calls to people far afield. When we confess in a moment that Christ is light from light in the Nicene Creed, we are affirming our faith in Christ's light, still shining in the world today, still guiding us home. God is our home light, and we are called to respond to God's light with brilliant actions of our own, radiant light shining from us. Let us conclude with this poem prayer by liturgist Richard Bott of British Columbia. Place in me a star, my God, that I might burn brightly with your love. Explode in me that I might burst with the possibility of your grace. Shine so brightly in my words and in my actions that the world might see only you. Make me an epiphany, my God. Amen. Amen.